We're going to talk about character, integrity, and impact. All three of these things are kind of the second step after what we just talked about, right? We talked about following Christ, fellowshipping with Him, and walking by faith. All that requires that we allow Him to develop His character in us, and then that we walk in integrity to accomplish all that He has for us. This is going to be an important talk. You can start by turning to 1 Corinthians 4.2. And as we turn to 1 Corinthians 4.2, I want to read you a quote from Howard Hendricks. He said, The greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership. Did you catch that? The greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership. Last night, Aaron and I on our romantic getaway, we're talking politics, and I played a short YouTube clip of uh, Marco Rubio talking, I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, but I think he's good and Samarius, but talking about abortion, and I was stunned at the clarity with which he spoke. I mean, it was so clear about what science says, about when life begins, I was just shocked that somebody in, in an elected position like his was so clear on this critical issue but it really brought this home. How many people are waffling on key things in our society right now? Howard Hendricks is right. The greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership. But he continues, he says, the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. Did you catch that? So the greatest crisis in the world is a crisis of leadership. We don't have good leaders that are willing to lead with integrity. And the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. So if we're going to be the leaders that God wants us to be, we have to allow him to develop his character in us. So 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Right? It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We can't be given a ministry responsibility, and then not prove faithful. Again, we go back to this being faithful with little for the sake of the little. It's required that we actually allow him to come through in our character. For the last few years, we've led the evangelism team at this night vision concert in, um, around Montrose in Olathe. And there are lots of different people. And I was talking with one of the other volunteers once, who I know very well, and he had been working with one of the headline artists a few years back. I won't mention who it was, because I don't want to give the guy a bad name. And he said he was so, so shocked, because this guy was one of his favorite artists, had the best, most Christ-like music, all this stuff. And when he interacted with the guy, the guy was a complete jerk. You know, just mean, aggressive, going after him. That man's character, or lack thereof really was taking away from his ministry, especially in this one-on-one -on -one interaction that he had. That can't be the case for us. Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 3 that a leader cannot be a new convert, right? A leader cannot be a new convert, so there has to be some maturity there. That's in verse 6, four verses later, talking about deacons, but I think with the expectation that this is expected of all leaders, it says that a deacon must first pass the test. In other words... You don't just throw somebody into leadership without them passing the test. And it goes the same for us. Our character has to match up to the calling. It has to provide the foundation for our ministry. If there's no character, there's no foundation. The ministry will come crashing down. 
You're all too aware of the many ministries that have come crashing down when it was demonstrated that a leader did not have character. Now compare this to the integrity which comes out of character. So that character is your foundation. That integrity is the daily context, right? It's the daily choice to live in line with the character that God has developed in your life. It's being true to who you are in Christ, not waffling on these integrity issues. Billy Graham demonstrated this incredibly. I know I've heard the story you probably have too of how once there was a prostitute that they put in his room when he got back from a meeting. He opened the door and ran. He didn't say, who are you? What are you doing here? Let me try to help you out or let's get you out of here. He didn't even, he just ran. He said, I'm out of here. Goodbye. They were trying to get him to fall and he refused to fall. That integrity wasn't just a fluke issue. And the leadership secrets of Billy Graham, Billy Graham's biographer writes of his incredible commitment to integrity, not just for himself, but for his whole team. That led to the impact that he has had for Christ. His character, his integrity, together led to an incredible impact for Christ. Talking about the leaders that fall, I want to clarify this, because we always hear the bad stories, not so often the good stories. They asked Billy Graham, what about all the leaders that always fall into sin? And he said, well, every day, tens of thousands of airplanes take off and land safely, but you only hear about the ones that crash, which was a very good illustration that there are some character-less leaders that are giving a bad name to a lot of Christianity and Christian leadership, but that's not always the case, nor often the case. There are a lot of godly leaders that are doing the right thing as well. Okay, but again, like Howard Hendricks said, the greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership, and the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. So if you want to accomplish the Great Commission, it's imperative that you allow the Holy Spirit to develop Christ's character in you. Remember, he's doing that every day, we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So let's focus on the character issues. I want to talk about what Scripture itself says are the characteristic requirements for leadership, if you want to put it that way. I'm reluctant to say requirements because all of us will read this list and go, okay, I don't meet the list, I can't be a leader. But let's look at the list knowing that this is what he's aiming at producing in your life, And as you surrender to his Holy Spirit, this is what happens in your life. You can go to Appendix I with me. It's on page 312. Now these leadership criteria are described specifically of elders and deacons. Okay, specifically of elders and and deacons. But they could be, and many biblical scholars say, it's safe to assume that they apply to all biblical leadership. Because every biblical leadership role that you find in the New Testament could fit somewhere loosely under those two. There could be some kind of, um, you could could characterize them as coming under those two, if that makes sense. So Grudem actually writes in his systematic theology that you can hold any leader up to any of these characteristics attributed either to elders or deacons. And I think that's a safe assumption. You surely don't want to go less. You surely don't want to say, well, not all leaders need to be sincere because that's only attributed to this or that, right? Of course, we should all be sincere. All right, follow with me as we look at some of the characteristics of godly leaders that make up the character of godly leaders. Leaders must have correct motives. You'll see the references for these character 
attributes that we're looking at, but leaders have to have correct motives. I once was talking to a potential leader in our student ministry that was a very talented musician, maybe one of the most talented we've ever had. And he said, I really want to be the praise and worship leader in this ministry. And I said, why is that? And he goes, because I think it's one more step that I need to take to become famous. So what did we do? He never led worship for us. I promise you that. His motives were wrong. You remember that, Russ? I told that conversation to Russ. He just started laughing like he did just now. All right. Leaders have to have correct motives in what they do. Leaders must be sincere. Right? Leaders must work for the Lord and for his approval only. I have to work for the Lord, not for human beings, not for men. I have to choose each day to do what I do for him, not for others. Leaders must love what is good and have godly desires. Leaders must lead by example, watching their conduct closely. Leaders must be faithful with whatever is entrusted to them. Leaders must encourage those around them. How do you feel when a leader undermines what you've done? Does that affect your motivation positively or negatively? Right? You don't even want to do it anymore. If your leader comes to you and says, that was a pretty poor job, and uh, I really um, want to give it to somebody else next time because you failed. Okay, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with that ever again. But when a leader encourages you, what do you want to do? Don't you want to do better next time? Don't you want to give it all that you got? Okay, so as a leader, you have to encourage those that you're leading. You also have to comfort those who need it. The Leadership Challenge is probably one of the biggest leadership books of the last 30 years. And in it, they say one of the five things that a leader has to do is encourage the heart. As a leader, you have to be able to comfort people to get into their heart and help them emotionally buy in to the vision and to the mission. Not just knowing that there's a checklist that they have to follow. Comfort those that you lead when they need it. Be a sympathetic leader with those on your team. Leaders must challenge those that they lead to live lives worthy of God. I can't just tolerate sin. I can't just be passive about hard issues. Brandon and I once had to challenge a student. We're having this Q&A in our living room, and this guy shoots his hand up, and he's like, I smoke marijuana recreationally. I think it's fine for believers. You know what I mean? He starts going into it. <laughs> you were a freshman. It was kind of interesting. But I said, I, I want, it's part of that multiplication thing. I had to confront this student. I didn't want to do it alone. I was discipling Brandon, and I said, come with me. I want you to be a part of this confrontation to see how we can challenge this guy. And we laid out the scripture for him and how in scripture it talks about pharmakia, which meant drug use, and it says that people that practice this won't be in heaven. Pretty intense stuff. We talked to him about wanting to live a Christ-like life and not wanting to have one foot in the world and one foot in his faith. And we never saw him again except for in passing, never at an event. But we had to confront him and challenge him on that key character issue. We can't just tolerate that. Because that spreads. If we didn't confront that, what happens next? Well, ten people that heard him and ten people that see him at each meeting start following his really bad example, getting distracted from the great commission that God has called us to. Leaders must put others first serving them. As a leader, you're going to be called to sacrifice more than anyone else. You're going to give up rights that you never even thought you had. You have to serve, just like Jesus did. Leaders must live above reproach. 
Leaders must walk in integrity, purity, holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness, Scripture says. It's a tall order, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Leaders must be temperate and balanced, not on these extremes. If it feels like an extreme, stay away from it. Unless it's a clear biblical extreme. <laughs> Heaven and hell, right? Okay, leaders must be self-controlled. Leaders must be respectable and respected. Leaders must be hospitable. They must be friendly and welcoming and allow people to join their lives in their context. As a family, it's, it's so interesting because the students are part of everything we do. When we leave the students, we feel naked. You know what I mean? We feel like a big part of our life isn't here, right? Chris knows my, my kids better than most of their relatives know them. Our students are really a part of our ministry. We want to be hospitable as leaders. Leaders must be able to teach and train. Okay, so develop the ability to teach and to train. Leaders must be able to rebuke, correct, and refute those who oppose the truth. I talked about this a minute ago, talking about challenging those that we lead to live godly lives. But leaders have to correct according to God's word, Paul told Timothy. It's not a question. We have to do this. And there are times where it's not fun, but it needs to happen. And I'll go out on a limb here and say, if you do this, you might lose some people from your ministry. But the ones that respond well to that correction are going to become those multipliers that reach the world for Christ. Because when they respond well to that, what are they demonstrating for you? They're demonstrating humility. Ben, you were going through a hard issue last semester. And I challenged Ben hard to do something that took probably more humility than anything you've ever done in your life. Uh, but how did you grow? About two weeks later, he tells me, I've never grown so much in my entire life. It was a hard thing to do. He really laid himself out there in humility. But God grew him through it, and it was a really a good thing. All right. Leaders must manage their private lives and family well. Leaders must be doctrinally sound, correctly handling God's word, and holding firmly to it. We can't just shrug off theology, right? So as a, as a side issue, I would encourage you to grow in that area if you haven't already. Get, a, get Grudem's systematic theology or Geisler's systematic theology and read through it and kind of build some foundation there with some of that. I get Geisler's. I, bet that, I haven't read Geisler's, but I think it'd be a home run. All right. Leaders must have clear consciences, so we're, giving, we're confessing that sin as soon as the Holy Spirit makes us aware of it. Leaders must guard their tongues, being careful how they speak. Leaders must be gentle with those they lead. Russ will drive all the way to my house from here. This is like 35 minutes away to give my kids moths and things like that or a box from a water heater that they could play in. That shows like this incredible gentleness to my kids, right? Okay, leaders, we always call him the nursery director because of that stuff. <laughs> so if you want to call Russ the nursery director, he'd laugh. Leaders must love unconditionally. Leaders must invest everything they have and are in those they lead. See, when I love people, I'm willing to pour my life into them. Leaders must walk by faith. Leaders must preach the good news and share their faith. Evangelism is required of leaders. Leaders must disciple younger believers Leaders must be diligent and wholly devoted to their call. Leaders must be disciplined. Leaders must persevere. 
I'm going kind of quickly through these. You have them in the appendix to refer back to. Leaders must endure hardship. Things will be hard. Our first year in ministry was the hardest year of ministry we've ever encountered. And it is still painful. There's very little in life that 10 years or, yeah, 10 years later, I still feel the pain from that. Our first year in ministry, I still feel deep, deep pain from what happened that year. It was very difficult. It was very, very painful. But you know what? We endured that, and God grew us through it. We're stronger because of it. We learned things that we couldn't have learned any other way. And I'll tell you what, our pride took the biggest beating it ever took, which was something that needed to happen. All right. Leaders obey the Lord. Leaders must not abuse alcohol. Leaders must not be violent. Leaders must not be greedy or materialistic. In fact, 1 Peter 5 says you can't be in ministry for financial gain. There are a few well-known leaders that should probably read 1 Peter 5. (laughs) Leaders must not be sexually immoral. Leaders must not be ashamed or be living with shame because of unconfessed sin. Leaders must not be manipulative or overbearing. Have you ever been under a manipulative leader? Those types of leaders get you to do certain things because of their position. I'm your boss, so you have to do it. That's how the whole world operates. Jesus said his leaders do the opposite. You know how I get you to do something? I do it by showing you my example of doing it. Right? I do it by showing you what Christ has called you to and encouraging you to follow Christ, not me. Does that make sense? So I motivate you with God's word. I motivate you with my example. And then I do it alongside you. And let's go for it together. That's what a Christian leader does. We don't manipulate. I'm the boss, so you have to do it my way. All right? Leaders must not be a burden to those they lead. Leaders must not have a quick fuse or temper. And leaders must work knowing that they'll give an account to God for how they lead. I'll give an account to God for how I lead, and you will too. And I should keep that in mind as I lead. There have been a few times in our Q&As where a conversation comes up. First week of school, 55 students in the living room. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? We have three gay students in the room right now. I know I'm going to give an account to God for how I lead. And I'm going to be gentle and kind and loving, but I'm not going to get away from what Scripture says is true. Right? I have, to, I have to lead knowing I'll give an account to God for how I lead, not just trying to appease those that happen to be following me at that time. Okay, so after evaluating those criteria, and don't mention this answer out loud. This is just between you and God. But I want you to really wrestle with this. Would you follow you? Why or why not? Several years ago in ministry, I thought I was a really good leader, and then I, the question came to me, would I follow me, yes or no? And as I thought about it, I thought, I don't think I would want to follow me. <laughs> I think I'd be mad at me. <laughs> I would think I was a jerk, and I would think that I was overbearing. And I, it just helped me to kind of think through my own leadership example. I want to be the Christ-like leader that he's called me to be, demonstrating his character to those that I lead. Not just doing it because, man, I should. I deserve to be in front because whatever. I need to lead with a godly character. And when I'm demonstrating a godly character to those I lead, I can't help but be a leader because who doesn't want to follow Christ in me, right? Like Paul said, who doesn't want to follow you when you're living and acting and leading like Christ? Okay, so that's why 
the foundation of character is so important. Next, we need a context of daily integrity. So every day I'm choosing to walk in integrity in line with the godly character that's in my life. This is a non-negotiable. And without integrity, I'm absolutely finished in ministry. Unfortunately, there's a huge lack of this in ministry. Here in the U.S., statistically, 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. Interestingly, 55% of pastors have been involved in porn in, in recent times, the same survey says. So when I first heard this, I thought, does that mean that pastors are worse off than the rest of the guys in their church? And I realized probably not. They're probably just more honest. <laughs> They're probably more honest and quicker to admit what's going on in their lives. That's just one big issue of integrity, but there are many others as well, obviously. And I use that one just as an example of what cannot be the case in the body of Christ, and it cannot be the case with leaders. Now, in Master Plan, Russ leading us, wanting to be a ministry that demonstrates integrity, has focused on this for many years, and recently, in the past year, Russ, along with some of the directors, have made a decision to make Covenant Eyes, this internet monitoring software required for everybody on staff, male, female, men, women, single, married, everyone, on your devices, on your computers, on everything, so that we all are walking in integrity, but not just walking in integrity, but there's also a record of integrity. So when there's an accusation, you can say, actually, there's this long record of integrity, right? Okay, my accountability partner, if somebody said, Austin is looking at porn. He's such a reprobate. I could say, I have eight years of Austin's internet browsing that I can show you, and there's no porn in any of it, okay? So there's a record of his integrity that gives credibility to his leadership. And that would be the case for any leader that's choosing to walk in integrity. Okay. The worst, the worst thing about this, though, is a lot of pastors, 75% of pastors don't have any accountability whatsoever. So over 50% are struggling with this big area and only 25% have any kind of accountability. Does that make sense? If, if you're going to be walking in integrity based on a godly character, you have to have accountability to keep you going strong. Sometimes it's hard getting that stuff started, but it'll develop very close friendships over time. I know some of you guys in here, I know Mark grew really close to some guys that he's been accountable with. Uh, over the years. And I know that's been the case for me in Austin. I know that's been the case for you and Woody. I know some of you guys, and I know this will be the case for all of you, as you develop these accountability relationships, you'll grow strong in integrity, you'll see a godly character strong as the foundation for your life, and you'll develop close friendships with those guys that you're having those relationships with. So we talked about a foundation of character. Okay. We talked about a context of integrity. All of that over the power of the Holy Spirit produces something very important. It all produces impact. Again, when you're a godly leader, leading in fellowship with God, in His power, great things happen. 
And when this equation isn't happening that way, those great things don't happen. So here's the result of all that. Russ puts it this way. A life that revolves around Jesus. When I'm walking in his character and integrity, my whole life begins to revolve around Jesus. He's the reason for everything that I'm doing. He's the one that I'm following. And people can follow me as I follow him. And again, he is building those things into your life daily by the power of his Holy Spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians 3.18. In in Luke 6.40, Jesus said that, that a student, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. You can't give what you don't have. But as you demonstrate these things, the people that you disciple will begin to demonstrate them as well. And that really will lead to the impact that God has called you to, to his great commission being fulfilled. That's what it's all about. A life that revolves around Jesus and a ministry that revolves around him and his great commission. And that's what flows out of character and integrity and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You don't have what it takes, guys, but God's Holy Spirit in you does. So as you allow Him to work His character into your life, as you allow Him to to help you walk daily in integrity, as you allow Him to absorb you with His great commission focus, you will accomplish the impact that God called you to accomplish. And He's the one that's growing you into that leader. Remember Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus as he does this process. That's where it all comes back to. So, in conclusion, Andrew Seidel writes, character is stressed biblically as the most important qualification for leadership. Do you agree? There has to be character before I can lead. I hope that you will grow in integrity and grow in character, all in the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to do what he wants through you. Because I know if you do, You'll be the leader that he made you to be, and you'll accomplish all that he made you to accomplish. So my application for this morning is, if you have an accountability partner to renew that relationship, if it's rusty, and if it's not rusty, great, get a, give him a call or give her a call and just chat. Austin and I, as our families have grown, our conversations about accountability issues have grown more infrequent and further between. We still get around to talking, and it's not just about lust. I think as guys, we think accountability is just about lust. Austin and I challenge each other about motives, about vision, about ministry commitments, about our finances, about a lot of these different things. And Austin will call me up and say, hey, Nate, just check and see if you're taking a spiritual dump. (laughs) It's kind of a vivid but awesome way to initiate that conversation. Okay, so if you already have an accountability partner, have that conversation. If you don't, get one. And don't wait another day. Write down on paper today who you want to call about initiating that relationship. All right, guys, put this stuff into practice, and God's going to do amazing things in your life and ministry. Let me pray, and then we're going to have a break. Jesus, I thank you that you alone can develop these things in us. I pray that you'd make us the leaders you want us to be to accomplish all that you've called us to. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.